0: wife has been gone this week uh so i've been alone she's caring for her mother uh, and it appears that that maybe happening a little bit more frequently uh over the next few months but um i've stayed out of trouble all by myself mm-hmm. i have said i need the lord every hour to do that so anyway i was thinking about what you were saying bill how fortunate we are that the only true god is good
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: that is worth and great thanks for and today's message really centers around only one verse however there are lots of scriptures i'm going to be reading um it's hard to apologize for reading a lot of scripture because that's the very source of how we are fed and nourished how we're encouraged and how we're corrected and so i I trust you'll bear with me as i um read through these, and, and as we progress towards the one point I really am trying to, to drive home today, I mean, it, it always as a result of, of the great goodness of God, but I'm going to start in uh, Matthew chapter 24 with just one verse, um, and it's right before, um, or it's during Jesus' last Passover visit to Jerusalem, he, he makes this statement. Um, as, as the his disciples are commenting about and pointing out the temples, it says in Matthew 24, 1. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down a pretty uh, grave word to come out, but I I want to to launch out of that and then just have a a short history lesson for for us. Um, Some 30 years later, uh, the Jewish wars, uh, a revolt against Rome began in 66 AD and um, the Romans sent Titus as the commander of his Roman legions and he arrived at the outermost part of Jerusalem during the Passover of 70 AD. Uh, at that point, he built these embankments of the earth against the walls of Jerusalem and began placing battering rams and, uh, and a siege against the city. Um, the Roman army, according to what I read, was about 30,000 men. The Jewish army inside was about 24,000. And um, according to Tacitus, there were 600,000 visitors crowding the streets of Jerusalem for Passover in this time. So after five months of siege, the walls were battered down and that great temple that Jesus just spoke about was burned down and the city was left ruined and desolate, except for three great towers that Herod had built at the northwest corner of the city. They were left there as a memorial of the massive strength of Jerusalem's fortifications and and a testimony of what Titus of Rome had brought to rubble. Um, This particular devastation of Jerusalem was worse than the destruction which the Babylonians had inflicted in centuries earlier. Um, uh, This particular article went on and said that the legions of Rome brought captives to Caesarea, After over 1 million Jews were killed, 95,000 were taken as prisoners. And among them was Josephus, the ancient Jewish historian that many of you would be aware of. So Titus returned to Rome in 71 AD and succeeded his father to rule Rome for three years. Uh, And then his brother, uh, Domitian, came to power after Titus' death and uh, about 10 years later, Domitian had erected a massive marble arch, Uh, it's called the Arch of Titus, to honor his brother and to immortalize the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, This Arch of Titus was about 50 feet high, and it towered over the east end of the Roman Forum, and it was the entry point for the Via, which is a sacred road. Um, that particular road is where um, the Romans would have their victory parades and triumphal possession uh, as they marched through the city after conquering different regions and cities. The, mark, the arch is made of marble, and it still stands today as a main attraction. Um, and it's famous for its architecture. It's also famous for the reliefs that are uh, carved on the inside walls of the arch. Um, on the south side, the spoils of the war from the temple are displayed as part of the possession. There are trumpets, there's the showbread, and then there's the menorah. All of these shown being carried out by the Israelite captives. And so their presence as part of that It's just a reminder of of how the Romans conquered that city. Uh, And it's said that the Jews of Rome refused to walk through the arch. Other accounts said that they were forbidden to walk through it. But what's interesting is this, now after almost 2000 years, the Roman empire lay in ruins, but tiny Israel has been raised to life. And you know, this little, nation, which was born in 1948, yet again, uh, needed a symbol. And what did they choose for their symbol? They chose as their national symbol, a candelabrum, actually the menorah. And so it's just interesting to me, uh, given the things that uh, had been shared in the past about youth youth catastrophes and God using things that were um, meant for evil, So the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and Judea and built a monument for all to see and remember this great victory. And that arch has preserved a picture of the menorah etched in marble and is now the national symbol of a new nation. You know, it's interesting that it may take many, many years, but God is a redeemer and he has uses that which was meant for evil and that which is against his purposes, he uses for good and for his purposes to be fulfilled. Uh, You know, redemption and all that goes along with it is one of those aspects of who he is because he's good and what his earthly activity is largely concerned with. So I wanna talk about that a little bit this morning, this whole concept of redemption and just how it's woven in in the scriptures and how we need to really maybe see the heart behind it. You know, the word itself means to compensate for faults or bad aspects of something or some person or people or a nation or a circumstance or an event. It's to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. Um, You know, you can expect that God's activity of redemption would be one of the overarching themes of the Bible. There are over a hundred references to this word just in the Old Testament. What's amazing to me is that almost half of them are found in just two books, in Psalms and in Isaiah. Uh, it's interesting as you read through the Psalms that the, the large majority of the of the use of the word in the Psalms has to do with man asking God to redeem his soul because we need him every hour. I, I'll just give two examples, you know, Psalm 34, 22 says this the lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned psalm 44:26. rise up and be our help if you remember psalm 107 which we had a few weeks back lord help rise up and be our help and redeem us for the sake of your loving kindness now, in contrast to that, the book of Isaiah, most of the scriptures there talk about God being the Redeemer. Uh, I'll just give two examples there as well. In Isaiah 44, 24, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and the one who formed you from the womb, I, the Lord, and the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth. All alone. Isaiah 54 8 says this, in an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. You know, it's easy for us to see who read the Bible many times, but it's the main storyline is this is this redemption of man and i just want to kind of briefly outline that before sharing a couple of other scriptures uh it started way back w- with a memorial of redemption where god gave this memorial to happen to the israelites and i'll just read a couple of selected verses about that that memorial foreshadows the re- redemption of man so in exodus twelve twenty two. This was his instruction to memorialize what he had done for the Israelites. He said, you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood. This is the blood from the land that they would have all sacrificed earlier. Dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of that blood that is in the basin to the lintel and doorpost. And none of you shall go outside the door of this house until morning. That blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. He, he continues, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and the do- two doorposts, he will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. And so from this commandment, the Jews celebrate the Passover. That's where Jesus was. We just read there in Matthew 24. The Jews celebrate the Passover, and the Christians, in obedience to Jesus' example and commandment, celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion as one of the ordinances of the church. Um, and here, here's a verse in Luke twenty two, nineteen, um, speaking about Jesus doing that. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup. This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant. In my blood. So you see, the Israelites sacrificed a lamb and placed its blood over the doorpost of their house. This was a foreshadowing of the supreme sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, through whom we, by faith, place ourselves under that sacrifice to be passed over in the judgment of God, to whom all will eventually give an account. Hebrews says it this way. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse her conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has been taken for redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. Ephesians one seven says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. You know, the... The story of redemption is so familiar that sometimes it's just easy to forget how glorious a story it really is. It's times like we're living now, we need to remember God's heart is first towards redemption through grace. He disciplines those he loves to draw them closer and make more effectual communion with himself. Failure to respond will ultimately bring punishment and finally judgment. As one commentator put it, the effects of sin and evil will either be converted, in other words, paid for and made righteous, or destroyed, depending on how someone responds. To me, it seems this is an important thing for us to remember when we're trying to understand the ways of God whether it's on a grand scale globally, like we're experiencing now, or whether it's with a group or a nation, or even with you or me as individuals. He alone discerns the heart, whether it's a corporate or individual, and his actions in calling for repentance and discipline are for the purposes of restoration. But likewise, his actions of judgment are always perfect in timing and degree, and always just. Um, with that said, I want to give a few examples of his redeeming activity in the Scriptures, and 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 help us to just remember he's in that business today as well. If we go back um, to when man rebelled, relations with God were broken, and at some point the Scripture records this in Genesis 6-5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. From man to animals, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But, but, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah responded to God's word. For a, over a hundred years, he remained faithful to the Lord's command. After the flood, the scriptures reported this in Genesis eight twenty. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and uh, every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the smoothing aroma. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. Genesis 9 then goes on and says this, Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you, and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth. I will establish my covenant with you in all flesh, shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I will set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for you a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. You know, God was sorry and grieved in his heart concerning man and the earth, but he preserved a remnant. Even today, both man and the earth look forward with hope to God's continued promise. for the scriptures record this in Romans 8, 19. But the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For well, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who, who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Another example of God's redeeming grace for the earth. Now, if we go back and look at the book of Isaiah, we will see that Assyria of all nations was chosen as God's instrument to correct and punish Israel. But Assyria was also to be judged for its own sins. And that's all in Isaiah 10. But if you continue from Isaiah 10 through chapter 19, There are prophecies concerning Babylon, judgment of Moab, judgment of Philistia, and Assyria, of Damascus, and Ethiopia, and finally, Egypt. What is really interesting is you read this word against Egypt in in Isaiah 19. The chapter ends with these amazing verses. Isaiah 19, I'm going to read 29, um, 19 through 25. After saying the things he has said, he says this In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt, and there will be a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness that the Lord of Heaven's armies is worshiped in the land of Egypt. When the people cry to the Lord for help against those who oppress them, he will send them a savior who will rescue them. The Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. Yes, they will know the Lord and will give their sacrifices and offerings to him. They will make a vow to the Lord and will keep it. The Lord will strike Egypt and then he will bring healing. You know, I like the New American Standard Version, which is a lot more succinct. It just says, the Lord will strike but heal. For the Egyptians will turn to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas and heal them. Then he continues, in that day, Egypt and Assyria will be connected by a highway. The Egyptians and the Assyrians will move freely between their lands, and they will both worship God. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth. For the Lord of heaven's armies will say, blessed be Egypt, my people. Blessed be Assyria, the land I have made. Blessed be Israel, my special possession. What a word to hold on to if you're in the midst of discipline and correction. In hard or difficult times, can you imagine living back then and the prophet bring forth that word? just to think of the hope you have to clean, uh, if I can borrow from Randy, to cling what is good, the good news of the end, if you will. Um, and I think, you know, that's a part of, of where we are. We need to remember the promises and the hope that's been given us, the hope that the end is a good ending. Um, let, let me just continue a little bit here on the law of redemption. Of the land, this was something that God purposed uh, for for reasons that are probably far beyond what I even begin to understand understand. but the Lord had this principle, and it's one that Roger had spoken about uh, earlier this year. the promised land was part of his, the covenant that God gave to Abraham and the Israelites, and he therefore wanted them to have possession within their tribes and their families. It was the principle of allow. there was a principle of allowing the land to rest. There was the principle of jubilee where the land would be returned to the owners, back to the families and tribes if there had been misfortune or reasons that they had had to give it up financially for some reason. But in Leviticus twenty-five twenty-three, it says this, it says the land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. That's God speaking of his ownership of it. For you are but aliens and sojourners with me. God is saying for you, you Israelites, are but aliens and sojourners with me. Talk about the imminence of God, the presence of God. He was there with them. So he continues, thus for every piece of property, you are to provide for the redemption of the land. You know, that law of redemption, along with the preservation of the family name and the title to the land, were instrumental in bringing Ruth the Moabite, a foreigner, into the lineage of King David and ultimately Jesus. Um, It says this in Ruth chapter four, verse five, Boaz, Boaz speaking to Ruth. On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, Speaking to a nearer relative, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative told told Boaz this, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have the right of my redemption, for I cannot redeem it. You know, Ruth became the great-great-grandmother to King David of Israel. And the whole story concerning Ruth very much displays God's heart. I just, I just really would encourage you to reread. It's only four chapters with a view towards the whole concept of God's heart of restoration that was built into this whole culture. You know, it seemed like for one man, the cost to redeem the land and, and the person of Ruth was too great. But Boaz purchased the land and the alien to redeem it. You know, and the scriptures remind us that we too were bought with a price. A great price, not of gold or silver, but the unblemished, perfect blood of Christ. God, Jesus put on the line his own inheritance to give the inheritance that his father wanted those that his father desired to have restored to himself you know the main point of today's message does center around god's heart with respect to gaining those that are his own you know all these things that i've spoken so far are really to get us to this one verse in matthew chapter 23 37 it's the verse right before the one that i read at the beginning so let's Let's go back to where the disciples were talking about this beautiful temple. And Jesus responded, it would be torn down. Uh, In the chapter before that, Jesus gives the eight great woes to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the nation. I mean, he blasts them uh, unmercifully, mercilessly. He tucked between the woes and Jesus pronouncing the destruction of the temple, this particular verse, which was a lament. Matthew 29, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, Your house is being left to you desolate for I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Did you, did you get it? Did you see it? Can you feel his heart tucked in between all that hard things that he said? Listen to it one more time. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. First of all, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, That's an address of intimacy, an address of relationship, of familiarity. And then can you picture a hen gathering her chicks? Maybe, uh, maybe Randy and Lisa can probably see this better than any of us, but I understand that a hen is a very affectionate creature when it comes to their young and they spread their wings to screen them from danger and and the chicks run under their wings. uh, that, that picture is alluded to again by Boaz when he speaks to Ruth. He says this to Ruth uh, when he finds her in, in his field. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to seek rest, refuge. Psalm 61.3 says this, For you, God, have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Jesus states that he wished to do likewise with the people. However, the leaders were unwilling. They were forever trying to dissuade the people to listen to Jesus. It doesn't say not once, once did he think about doing this or twice he thought about it. It says, but often he wanted to gather them together. This is God incarnate who came to show us what the invisible God the Father is like. Can you begin to see the redeeming heart of God through this word picture? Let's just think about it from a worldly perspective. You've got children or you have people that you love. And when those people seem to or do get off to a a wrong start or a wrong way or a wrong path, or they get a wrong perspective or view about someone or something, doesn't something awaken in your heart when that happens? Maybe many things like impatience, frustration. But more than that, what awakens is how much you love them and how you desire them to turn and return. You find yourself between impatience and frustration and maybe anger, in a heart that longs to see repentance and return. You consider ways to bring it about so deeply, you know, to regain that closer relationship that you have with that person. You know, if we being imperfect in our motives and judgment and desires feel so deeply about someone, Or some circumstance, or some injustice, how much more does the Lord, how much more grace and power and mercy and patience does he have? And so, as it always has been with God, who says by no means he will leave the guilty unpunished, but he always seeks a way to compensate, pay for the faults of his creation, brought on by man's rebellion not to trust and obey. I mean, let's think about it in our own lives and how the Lord seems to continually be buying back through the sacrifice of Christ and the work of His Spirit. Sins past, sins present, and sins yet to be committed. You know, my point is that as we walk through these different types of times that we find ourselves, that we need to remember the heart of God, whether it be this momentary affliction our discipline, our judgment. It's well that we remember his ways of redemption, even when we're looking at other people, groups, and nations and trying to discern what he's trying to accomplish. No matter what, we continue to believe in his redeeming love. If there is discipline or even judgment around us, we also remember he is always faithful to those are his own. Um, you know, here in the end, as a reminder and a paraphrase of previous brothers, let me just say this. It would be well to marvel at God's ways of redeeming and then imitate them effectively through genuine love, abhorring evil, and clinging to what is his good word is in the moment. I just want to leave you with that. Uh, in All is well in in, in the eyes of the Lord. Um, So let's pray. Father, you are our Redeemer. Through Jesus, your own Son, the precious Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Holy One. So we do thank you, Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your spirit here on earth to work His God. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Preston. So how deeply does God feel towards each one of us? It's a good thought. Actually, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrifying thought if you don't have the answer.
2: <laughs>
1: if you do have the answer and you see it replayed through Scripture and you see it announced and preached and proclaimed and you see it confirmed, then it's such a, a, a powerful, life-giving support through every, every issue of life. With that said, any any um any thoughts anyone has that you want to share in response to the message here this morning?
2: I do have a thought with the way that um, Preston um, brought the whole picture together, because God's heart hasn't been just for redemption in the past year or two. It is that is His heart. He has a heart of redemption so much that he would make a way for us and offer the ultimate sacrifice. And um, I thought of that scripture that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Uh, we just, I mean, you, you, you can't open the Bible and look at it and really read it and not see his kindness, his goodness, his plan, his heart, that really is that that heart of redemption. And um, Preston, I loved it the way that, that you said it really would be well for us to marvel to marvel to at his redeeming love. Um, it's so far beyond any kind of love that I, I can understand or comprehend or have in, in my heart apart from him, but to marvel at his redeeming love. And I really liked, too, the way that you tied in other messages that we've heard over the past number of weeks and brought that together because it's it's a tapestry he's weaving for us in a picture he really wants us at Gateway Christian Fellowship to see. So thank you.
3: So I could not remember the prophetic word about Egypt and Syria. I've got to go back and look at that. That startled me a little bit.
1: It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Egypt and Assyria, all instruments of the Lord.
3: Assyria is today's Syria or no, no. Okay. Well,
1: no, Assyria would be um, Iran, wouldn't it? Because Iraq is Babylon. Mm-hmm. Part of Turkey and uh, part of Iran. Uh, yeah, Part of Syria and Iraq, that whole section. There. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's right. Yeah. All those.
0: Um,
3: I was just thinking, Preston, as you were sharing the story examples, like you example of Ruth and Boaz, and then what Jesus said to his disciples about, "Look at this temple, you know, there will, you know, it's going. There's not going to be one stone left upon another." And that was a comp that happened in AD seventy under the Roman general Titus. Um, That concept that. Uh, God has the big picture and the long view in mind, you know, and that is really important for us, I think, to understand, not only personally, but when we think about our countries, our nations, uh, what's happening in the world today, we only see many times the immediate view, the short view, but God never is limited by that. He has the long view in mind. And so many of the things that he's wanting to do in his kingdom, you know, we can't really understand it because he's looking into the future. He's looking into the big long view, and I think that's very helpful uh, because his his heart is redemption, um, but he's also so he's also sovereign and he's outside of time as we know it, and he has such a big. Picture vision of what's going on, so I think that helps that helps me to have confidence to trust Him. That even when I can't see like what might be behind things, He's got a much bigger picture in mind. Um, so thank you, Preston. That was a it was a, a great word on redemption.
0: You know, it's it's very difficult to understand the Holocaust. I don't know about you all, but you think about that and you try to figure out how in the world does that fit? Um, I heard one one guy say this, and I haven't processed it completely yet, but it took six million Jews to die before the world could bring themselves to have enough of a conscience to see that nation reborn. Um, that, not that God wanted that to happen, but He used that to bring the world to a place where they realize we need to give these people a place to live. Um, I don't know whether that's a very accurate perception of it or not, but it's, it's one of those things that you think about why why would God allow that? God has purposes that we don't understand. And and I'm not saying that's the reason there, but just to to reiterate what you're saying, Camille, he he has a plan that we don't understand his ways. And that's one of them I don't understand. I
1: remember growing up, um, I would have different... um, experiences with god and reading the bible and then i met julie and everything changed but i remember um trying to understand more about faith because i guess at one season i was thinking faith you know if if you have faith then you're going to pray for the sick and they're going to recover or if you have faith you know the mountains can be cast into the sea it's a straight what Scripture says. But, but then I guess it, it sort of begins to r- realize that, well, faith means not only those things, but faith means continuing to live for God and in the way God prescribes, even though the environment you're in is not easy when you go through suffering. And then that led to a whole study of what suffering is like and in the causes of it and um and so now i mean you know, I'm, I'm rejoicing in my faith because faith lets me be as camille said look to the long view of what god's going to do and in and, and the restoration that he's planned even for these things that have been traditionally in en- enemies like is- assyria and egypt uh in the bible story Uh, They're seen as enemies, but God's got a plan for them, and he's going to redeem them because God is good, Mm -hmm. and he is going to take everything, and he's going to execute his judgment, and he's going to redeem the things that he wants to redeem, and he's going to end the things that he wants to end, but his earth, all creation, is part of what he's going to redeem, and it's going to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's where faith really comes in because faith allows you to hold on to that and wait for God's judgment and wait for God's vindication and wait for God's execution of his, of his plan. But you can be confident that it's going to happen because you trust his promises. Um, So I appreciated all the scripture, Preston. It's, It's good to see how scripture points together and ties these things together. But then that that question you ask, how deeply does the Lord feel about his people? He is not going to let them go. He is going to save them from themselves. He is going to save them in the end from everything that would come to destroy not only their, their bodies or their lives, but destroy their peace and destroy their happiness and destroy their joy he's going to watch over and protect in the long view in the short view we might be beheaded but in the long view he's going to restore everything that was taken away that's to me that's really what coming what faith means <laughs> that i can trust him and I can believe him for that every act of injustice god is going to judge every act of injustice every thief, every, every robbery, every murder, every slander is going to be judged in the long view. You might think you're getting away with something now, but you won't. <laughs> and unless by the mercy of God, he's covered that sin in his blood, the blood of Jesus. So it's, it's good to remind of these things. It's, it's almost like we, we, need, we need to know that God's got it all under control every week, and we need to re- tell ourselves and re- encourage one another as we see these things happening. And we need to pray that, that justice not come at, just at the end, but we live lives of justice, and that we li- peace doesn't come just at the end. We live lives of peace and generosity and, and these, kindness, these, these things flow out of who we are, and they flow today. And forever. So I'm still considering a lot. Um, anyone else would like to share something? I do have one more song we can sing. Let's do that, and then uh, Mary will go to you, okay?
4: springs of comfort seem to fail and all my hopes decline yet gracious god where shall i flee thou art my only trust and still my soul would cleave to thou not bid me seek thy face and shall I seek in vain and still can the ear of sovereign grace be deaf when I complain No still the ear of sovereign I ever find access to breathe my sorrows there. Thy mercy seat is open still. you let my soul retreat with humble. I will and wait beneath Thy feet. Thy mercy seat is open still. Here, let my soul retreat with humble hope. But then I will.
1: our prayer dear refuge of our weary soul we need thee every hour and Lord let us consider who you are and all of your works and be amazed let us consider Lord that you know the the end from the beginning let us recognize Lord that your ways are higher than our ways Let us recognize, Lord, that all of your ways are good. Lord, that the only one who ever temporarily received injustice from God was Jesus himself because he had no sin to condemn him and yet he gave his life for us. Let us see your heart for us through Jesus, through his gift for us. Let us know, Lord, your heart towards us by what we see Jesus having done and accomplished for us. And what he's even doing now, Lord, is he intercedes for us every moment of every day. He's praying for us right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that our names are are on your lips as you speak out prayers according to the will of God, to God the Father. And your spirit, Lord, dwells within us to gently instruct us to, to compassionately correct us and provide for our needs. Lord God, I pray that our minds and our hearts will be awakened to your presence here this week. Lord, that we truly might come to your feet. That the ear of sovereign grace might not turn away from us, but hear our prayer, Lord God. Lord, I pray for each one in each state and each country here on this call this morning. That you may hear our prayers. Let us not be afraid to speak to you, Lord God. So Father, we, we give you thanks today and we ask, Lord, that that you make us people of peace. Let us not be impartial towards anyone. Let us not show favoritism, Lord. May we truly, Lord, hearken to the words of God. And may your words bring us life and light. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you'd heal our diseases, heal our friends' diseases and our family's diseases. Lord, we ask that you would guide our steps through the course of trial. or that you'd open doors that seem to be shut, that need to be opened. And Lord, you would shut and turn off other voices that we don't need to hear anymore. Lord, we pray for this, for our nation and for the the election coming up to, to elect leaders. We pray, God, we ask you for your favor. We ask you, Lord, for your best for our nation. And Lord, that we might humble ourselves as a people and give you thanks. Lord, turn our hearts to you as as a nation. And Lord, we ask you to, to end this virus. We ask you, God, out of your mercy, to cause it to stop. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, give us patience with one another. Give us love for our fellow man. And before we judge, Lord, others, let us walk in their shoes, or at least think about walking in their shoes and understanding the, the trials and the tribulations that they have faced. Hallelujah. So we thank you for our church family. We thank you that you've allowed us to gather again. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Amen. We want to welcome Galena in from Russia. Galena has joined us. And Jin, Jin has joined us. And um, Galena, it's so good to see your face after a long trip to Russia.
3: I'm so glad to see everybody.
2: Yeah, we hope you have a a very fruitful time there, but we also long for the time when you will be back here with us. Yeah, and again, Matthew and your family, we're glad that you were here, and Eva, we're glad you joined us from Texas, and we're glad all of you uh, from various parts of uh, Wake County <laughs> are with us. Preston, I went back and um, looked at a verse that followed something you said, and it, um, when when you were talking about how God had um, had had grieved the Lord had grieved that he had made man and, and creation but and I love that word in scripture, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and after that it says, Noah was a righteous man, and the only way we can be righteous of course, is through Jesus and and the work he's done for us. but Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked. With God, and that's that's my prayer for um, Gateway Christian Fellowship, and for for my own life is that that I would be faithful in walking with God. Sometimes I walk ahead of Him, and and I think sometimes I drag behind. But I want to walk with Him. <laughs> I do. That's my heart. I, I want that. Again, Penny's birthday is today. I don't know if Penny is still with us or if she's had to to leave but penny's birthday today and on friday gabriella from venezuela will have a birthday She's um, not on the call with us but uh, carla had sent a message this morning and um, they come back tomorrow and she said uh, to all of us thinking of you and praying for you all as you worship this morning come lord jesus so let's remember carla and her family on the final day that they all have together before um, most of the family will be flying back home to raleigh i want to give you an update personally on the um, porch screened in porch that's <laughs> going to be built at my house the permits passed carry with no revisions needing to be made, which is an amazing kind of thing. So they passed on the first try and the men that are going to build that porch start on Tuesday. So (laughs) life will be a bit disruptive in some senses here, but, you know, we go through a little disruption for the long view. (laughs) And uh, so that starts on Tuesday. Uh, If we could also continue to remember Ricky and Vicky, and uh, Cecil thank you for letting us know that Ricky's father died this week and that the funeral was this week. I I know that's a huge loss in Ricky's heart and in their family. And then um, the final thing I have is we have new Sunday School and King's Jewels boxes that um, we are co-laboring with another church, and uh, that is that is um, New Hope Church. And they have allowed us to purchase these Sunday school family boxes and um, and King's Jewels family boxes. So they will be distributed this week. Uh, we'll be bringing them around like we did for the month of August. These are the month of September ones. So. Maybe you, you all will hear more about that as time goes on. They're very creative and they're involving missions outreach every month. So even though we're not doing Sunday school, like we traditionally would, there are some things um, for each family to continue with and helpful tools. Um, so those will be coming around this week. And I think those are the announcements that I have.
1: Okay. Thanks Mary. Uh huh. Well, I wish I could have you all over for dinner, but.
2: Um, we wish you could too.
1: <laughs> well, normally, I was thinking, you know, in, in, uh, in February, that's what we would have done, right? We would have had Mary's comments and all these things, and then we would have a blessing for the meal and we would go have a meal together. But.
2: Um, you can do takeout.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll 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 set up some things on the front porch and y'all can come pick something up. <laughs>
2: you <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's scary.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, prayer meeting is uh Wednesday night. And uh next Sunday is um uh, Labor Day weekend, I believe, right? I don't know. Anybody traveling next Sunday, next weekend? So, so Roger, I think I saw a picture of you with Johnny Cash. Is that right? <laughs> yes. From, uh, many years ago when, uh, Johnny Cash that when they had something called the singing on the mountain, uh-huh. I think I was Henry's age or actually a little bit younger. Uh, my family went to that. And the, the story is that, uh, I wandered away from them, and they do the performance on this great big rock. Mary's f- probably familiar with it. And I had climbed up and was standing on that rock probably three feet away from where they were performing. And you know, my, my parents were you know, way back in the crowd, and they started looking around and couldn't figure out where I was. And all of a sudden, my dad points out and says, isn't that him? Up on the stage looking up at Johnny Cash and and uh, I, I guess about that time someone had had taken that uh, I think Hugh Morton had probably taken a picture uh, okay. right at that time. Okay. Yeah, that's all that so you weren't in the temple when you left your parents, you were watching Johnny Cash. I was watching Johnny Cash. <laughs> okay. All right. And Bob Hope. And okay, all right. Well it's good to see all of y'all.
3: See
1: you too. Bye. 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 Bye everyone. Good night. A great week. Thank you, Preston. Yeah. Bye.
3: Thank you, Preston.
1: <laughs> Bye. Bye, Eva. Bye, Jinjin.
3: Bye, Jinjin. Bye, Bye Rebecca. Bye, Jonathan. Bye. Hi, Phoebe. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye,
2: y'all.